0: WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, Because of a little conflict, I couldn't my show last week last Wednesday so we moved it to this Wednesday and we'll have it next Wednesday as well and before I begin with a prayer I'm I'm going to ask Angela who's here with me um, do you know what feast days we're celebrating later this week I do father you'd be proud I was taught by the nuns that's why okay what feast days are we celebrating the on the on the Friday and Saturday after the Feast of Corpus Christi. Well,
1: the Sacred Heart of Jesus is on Friday and the Immaculate Heart of Mary is on Saturday.
0: Yes, yes, so we're looking forward to these two feasts, Uh, the two hearts which are united in, in a bond of love. On earth they were united, in heaven they're united. And I'll begin this Marian hour with a prayer, a novena prayer that one can pray beginning on Friday on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, continuing until uh, for nine days until June 27th. It's a, it's a prayer to uh, a novena prayer to the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts of Jesus and Mary. So we'll begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Eternal Father, look not on our sins, but on the infinite love and merits of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Look upon the sufferings he endured on our behalf, causing his precious blood to flow for the remission of sin. By his infinite merits, and by the intercession of Mary, his mother, grant us the graces we most need and the favors we ask in this novena o immaculate heart of mary queen of heaven and earth i thank you for the many blessings i have received through your powerful intercession guide me in dangers strengthen me in temptations and help me to bear the crosses of life in union with your son mother of mercy i beseech you to hear my prayer and to obtain for me your divine of your Divine Son, the favors I seek in the novena. And here we make our requests. And now we pray together the Memorare. Remember O most gracious gracious Virgin Mary, Mary, but never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thy intercession intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate. Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I, I thought it was providential that we had to cancel last week in order to put the show to this week because this gives me the opportunity to speak on um, one of my favorite topics the hearts of Jesus and Mary and <clears throat> I'll just I'll just ask Angela okay Uh-oh. what what is it about the hearts why do we honor the hearts of Jesus and Mary what what is with this heart thing it seems like only we Catholics do this but we we honor the hearts of Jesus and Mary. We have images of their hearts. Usually, they can be portrayed, you know, separately. Just the heart of Jesus usually is shown with with uh, surrounded by thorns, and across the top with flames coming out. That's how Jesus showed his heart to Saint Margaret Mary Alaco. And Mary's heart is usually shown with a sword piercing it. That's from the prophecy of Simeon. Uh, maybe surrounded by a ring of flowers. Um, sometimes these are portrayed uh, by themselves, independently of a body. More often than not, they're portrayed in the breast of Jesus and Mary. But why is it that we do this? Do you know what? What? What is it about the heart that? I'm,
1: that I'm guessing it's a sign of the love of God and the love of Mary. The heart is usually standing for the love. It
0: is. Well, it's. Uh, it is. A sign of the heart pardon me the heart is a sign of the love but even more than that there is what I like to call an anthropological meaning a revealed meaning a Christian anthropology you could say of the heart or even a Judeo Christian anthropology of the heart Anth- anthropology is the study of man anthropos Is the Greek word for man generic not male or female so if you study anthropology you're studying man the human person and uh, both theologians and anthropologists agree that the human heart is what is often referred to as a primordial symbol and what that means is that in every culture In every religion, uh, the heart has been looked at as a symbol of the person, especially uh, the person's interiority. If you know what I mean by interiority, Mm -hmm. just what's going on inside of us. Okay, our thinking, our willing, our remembering, our. Deeply held feelings and emotions, affections; these are all summarized by that word interiority. And uh, biblical revelation shows us this. Okay, uh, I think there are about 857. I believe that's the number references to heart in the Old Testament and I think there are close to a couple of hundred in the New Testament and uh, you know the Old Testament is is from the the Hebrews the Israelites The New Testament of course with the coming of Christ but um, not only do we see references to heart there which are revealed it's revealed by God this meaning of heart as we've described it but in other cultures too we see this and uh... for example the ancient Egyptians when someone died they used to weigh the person's heart and i'm not sure how they did it in scales and to see if you know their heart was good or bad Uh, the american indian tribes the native americans uh, some of them would, would well, they, they recognize the heart as, as a symbol, of, for example, bravery. If you know the North American martyrs, <coughs> um, Saint Jean de Brebeuf, Isaac Jogues, especially Isaac Isaac Jogues. Uh, there's an account of, of his martyrdom. Uh, the the um, the Mohawks were uh, tortured him severely with, with others and he was so heroic in in continuing to pray for the people who were putting him to death and never like begged for mercy that's what they tried to do the the native americans they tried to break you down psychologically emotionally so you'd be begging for mercy and then they just laugh all the more and torture you well uh saint isaac Jokes um uh, or actually, no, this is, is Jean de it, It's it's his martyrdom. You no, know, he, he just kept praying for his his persecutors, encouraging those who were with him to pray for those putting them to death. They were so impressed by his bravery that they cut open his chest, they took out his heart, and they ate it. Ugh. it sounds horrible, but they Ugh. thought, we want to get the same courage that this man had. Uh, so th- here are, those are just a couple of examples of how the heart is regarded just in, in cultures throughout history, wherever you go, as, as a symbol of, you know, someone's interior life. And, well, we, we see the, the full revelation of heart in Christ himself, because he is the eternal word who took flesh. Um, the Bible even makes reference to the heart of God. Now, of course, we're not talking about a physical beating heart in God, the Trinity. But with Jesus, the heart of God, in the symbolic sense, what's going on in God, you could say, uh, becomes enfleshed in Christ with a physical heart. And Jesus is, you could say, the perfect icon. Of what it means to to be someone with with a human heart, um, Jesus's heart, as as the popes teach. There's there's a great encyclical going back in the to the 1950s. It's 1956. It's called Harriatus Aquas, Hariatus Aquas, to draw water, and that's the first line. In the encyclical by Pope Pius XII, to draw water from the springs of salvation. Jesus, in chapter seven of John's Gospel, stands up on the on the feast day of the tabernacles. He says, um, uh, uh, God calls all to to draw water from the springs of salvation. Well, those springs of salvation are actually his heart, which is pierced by the soldier's lance on Calvary after he died. And uh, Jesus' heart, he's encouraging us with those words to draw the life-giving springs of water from his heart. There's a reference to, th- to those life-giving springs of water from the Tree of Life in the Apocalypse, the, the Book of Revelation, which um, is the tree that Jesus was crucified on. So with Jesus, we have the perfect symbol with his heart, of, of what it means in our understanding to have a heart like unto God. Uh, Pope Pius XII teaches in that encyclical that um, the heart of Jesus is the most perfect symbol of his divine and human love, both his divine and human love, because he's God before he becomes man, and then he becomes man, so in Jesus we have both divine and human love Jesus loved with a human heart he had emotions he had uh, feelings you know he's weeping over Jerusalem on on the day he he walks down the path on Palm Sunday because he knows they're going to reject him just a few days later and call for his death and with Jesus and with Mary too okay we have, you could say, the embodiment of the new heart that was prophesied. The Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they talked about how God was going to give us a new heart. In fact, I'll read from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. This is probably the most famous verse and this is God speaking through Ezekiel I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you taking away your hearts of stone or stony hearts and giving you natural hearts or another translation would be a heart of flesh a true heart that that is obedient to God and submissive to him so um, how is that prophecy about this new heart fulfilled well most perfectly in Jesus Christ because he's the perfect man he shows us what it means to to love God with all your heart mind soul and strength okay that's the Old Testament exhortation Jesus says learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart and the heart of Mary is is also for for just a human being okay is the perfect model for us because Mary, her heart was completely conformed to uh, to God's will in everything, and we see that. Where, first of all, where do we see that that Mary's heart is perfectly conformed? Where would we see that?
1: Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Right, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she "Fiat, let it done to me. Be done to me according as you as you say." So her heart, that total. Uh, receptiveness to God's will, to the movements of the Holy Spirit, to obedience and faith, it's it's exemplified most perfectly for a human being in Mary. Jesus was not a human being. He had a human nature. He's properly a divine person with a human nature. And uh, I'll quote here a, a a very brilliant theologian. He's passed away a Jesuit a great biblical scholar and devotee of Mary. His, his name was Ignace de la Poterie. And Father de la Poterie says that heart, heart is the metaphorical symbol of the totality of the person. It's a beautiful idea, huh? Uh, therefore, when we speak of the hearts of Jesus and Mary, he says, we actually are thinking of the persons of Jesus and Mary themselves. And one other author um, says that, just to give an idea, a mental concept of this, this notion of heart, uh, when we know a person's heart, we know the person. And what is, do you remember, the, Angela, the, 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 the line from scripture, when the prophet Samuel goes to anoint one of the sons of Jesse? who's going to be the next king to succeed, Saul. He sees these big strapping figures. He says, oh, it must be this one. No, it must be this one. No. And <clears throat> then he asks Jesse, do, do you have any more sons? He says, oh, yeah, there's, there's this youngest son. He's out there tending the sheep. That was David. And what did God say to him? Do you remember? He's a man after his own heart. <clears throat> well. Was that the right thing? He's no, a man not after that. his own heart? What Actually, God says to Samuel man sees the appearance oh
1: god sees the heart god sees
0: the heart right god sees right the heart. so god knows our interior life god knows our thinking our willing so to speak and um but the you can say the the heart is symbolic of the totality of the person and you know jesus reveals this in a private revelation to st margaret mary alacombe this was the great revelation in June of 1675 where Jesus parted his garment and we see this in in the artwork you know Jesus he's got his hand parting his garment and showing his heart surrounded by thorns across on top flames coming out showing he suffered for us his burning love and Jesus says to Saint Margaret Mary Alaco behold this heart which has loved men so much that it has spared nothing even to exhausting itself in order to testify to them of its love and in return i receive from the greater number nothing but ingratitude so you see what jesus is doing there he's saying behold this heart and then he says i receive ingratitude in return while he's identifying his heart with his very person and. Um, we can say that <coughs> by his incarnation, the Son of God, well, here, here I'll quote from one of the Second Vatican Council documents, uh, Gaudium et Spes, okay, um, the Church in the Modern World, joy and hope, Gaudium et Spes there's this famous line from from number 22 it says by his incarnation by the word becoming flesh the son of god has in a certain way united himself with each man because god becomes man he worked with human hands he thought with a human mind he acted with a human will and with a human heart he loved so that that's you know, a beautiful image of, of Christ. He is the Word made flesh. He fully reveals the authentic meaning of of heart in in man created in his image. And scripture and papal teaching and the teaching of saints throughout the centuries make clear that the, the heart of Mary, uh, being all pure, immaculate, you know, her heart, you could say, is a symbol of her, what, Immaculate conception, Conception. yes, because that's why we call it immaculate. If there was any spot on her heart, it wouldn't be immaculate. Um, I'll just say this. Early uh, on, there were different terms to describe Mary's heart. In the Middle Ages and even into the modern period, um, all pure heart was used for Mary, but even in the Middle Ages, there, there were a couple of references to her immaculate heart, and then that became more of the norm because immaculate, um, being linked with, with her immaculate conception, spotless, free from any taint of sin at all. And so, scripture, papal teaching really makes clear um, Mary's heart, all pure, immaculate, the spotless image. reflection you could say of of the heart of Jesus Christ and her heart as I said is that really the perfect symbol of this new heart for us who are are just human beings okay Um, and that heart that God promised in the Old Testament that would be transformed by the grace of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the symbol of the perfection of love and the interior life of virtue. And we can all we can attribute all these perfections to Christ's heart, okay? Uh, but we can also attribute them to Mary's heart, with one exception, and that is uncreated charity. That's divine love. Okay? Um, Jesus has that Um, Mary's heart is is the symbol of created charity because uh, that's we, we share in the charity of God all of us including Mary and her heart the Pope's teach is the symbol of her interior life of her thinking her willing her complete obedience to God her humility her love for God, okay, her love for Jesus Christ, her son, and guess who else? Her love as our spiritual mother for all of us. Mm-hmm. So that's her heart is a symbol of of all those things. You could say her entire affective sphere. Because she's mother of Jesus, she's our spiritual mother in the order of grace. And you know, that interior attitude of Mary. I like to think is summed up with her fiat. But what I like to call her twofold fiat. Her fiat at the Annunciation, and then, when's her second fiat?
1: Maybe the foot of the cross? The foot of
0: the cross, yes. She, She's, she's saying yes to God again because she realizes this is God's will that Jesus die on the cross to save us from our sins. And uh, the saints, some of the medieval saints, talk about how Mary, in the midst of her horrific suffering that she bore in her heart at the foot of the cross she experienced joy. The joy of knowing that we were all being saved in the process. And Mary is the perfect model to imitate for Christ, being close to Christ. And when Jesus says his command, to learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart, well, no one did that in a more perfect way than, than Mary, in, in responding to God's love, his will, and in loving service to God and neighbor. Father, so, did, she,
1: did she know, when she offered her first fiat, did, did she know about the second fiat? Did she know what her son would go through?
0: Uh, generally speaking, yes, I would say. Mary knew this, okay? Because, and I'll I'll use an argument from Father William Most, who was a great uh, scripture scholar, a great Marian scholar, too. He taught at Loras College for many decades and then ended his career at the Catechetical Institute under Monsignor Cavain in Virginia. And I heard a talk by Monsignor, uh, by Father William Most. And he spoke about, he was speaking about Mary's knowledge. And he said, you know, we have prophecies, for example, Isaiah, the suffering servant. Jesus would suffer, the innocent lamb go to the slaughter. He read over some of the commentaries, the, 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 the ancient commentaries by rabbis, even before Christ came. Um, the, the, the Talmud, the, the Mishnah, and some of a minority of the Jewish rabbis, based upon the revelations, for example, in Isaiah of the Suffering Servant, said the Messiah is going to be a suffering Messiah. So a minority of them saw this revealed, and Father Most's argument was: if they saw it, Mary surely saw it because she was filled with grace from the moment of her conception. And because she was filled with grace, she was given this great clarity to be able to read the scriptures and understand them. And it would be fitting and proper that she, at her renunciation, was saying yes to conceiving the Messiah, who was going to be a suffering Messiah. Now, she didn't know all the details, of course. She didn't probably know, we could say she didn't know, almost for certain, unless... You know she was given a private revelation of this, the extent of the horrific suffering that Jesus would undergo and that she would be at the foot of the cross with him, but she knew in this in this more general sense that the Messiah was going to suffer and uh, that was confirmed to her you know at at, at the at the presentation with Simeon where he speaks of this sword of suffering that will pierce her soul or her heart. So, I think we're um, we're coming up to our our break time here. Uh, I see 30 seconds left. So we, uh, Father,
1: thank you. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Father Dwight Campbell, and it's the Marian Hour on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio.
0: Steve Anguissano, I think Catholic Radio is so important to the culture of our communities and our church because really uh, I know in my own family we listen to Catholic Radio in the car with the kids. It brings up things that we can talk about. It allows our faith to be not just a Sunday faith, but an everyday faith, and I think that's so important. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio PO Box 885 Libertyville, Illinois 60048 That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio PO Box 885 Libertyville, Illinois 60048 Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. This is Father Dwight Campbell back again with the second part of our Marian Hour. And in anticipation of the two beautiful feasts that we celebrate in the church this Friday and Saturday after the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Sacred Heart of Jesus on Friday, the Immaculate Heart of Mary on Saturday, I chose this for. The topic today, which I'm beginning and I'll continue next week since um, my show falls uh, at two ends, you could say, before and after the, the two feasts of the hearts of Jesus and Mary. So w- I was talking in, in the first part of this hour today about how the heart is uh, the symbol of interiority. It's, it's, there's a really, really a biblical anthropology of the heart that we see revealed in the Old Testament, especially, and in the New Testament. And uh, just continuing on that, that theme, uh, that Jesus is the, the perfect fulfillment of, of the heart, the meaning of the heart, obedience to God's will, um thinking willing emotions uh, of love both divine and human and mary is her heart is the perfect symbol of conformity to the heart of jesus now jesus commands us learn from me for i am meek and humble of heart no one did this more perfectly than the blessed virgin mary so um, devotion to the hearts of jesus and mary is concerned not so much with the physical organ per se as it is with the symbolic meaning of those hearts however we can't just discard the physical organ either if, you know we we portray um, images of the hearts of jesus and mary either standing alone or in their in their breasts when we portray their hearts artistically so the physical heart uh that beating heart of of both Jesus and Mary is is part of the devotion from you know a, a more human perspective but uh, properly speaking devotion to the hearts of Jesus and Mary concerns what they symbolize interiorly about their hearts. When Jesus says, imitate me, for I am meek and humble of heart, he's speaking of how his heart is a symbol of his his meekness, his gentleness, and his humility. And um, these are references that are made in the liturgy as well, used in public-private devotions. Um, so... Um, now I'd like to just talk about, for the next segment of my, my two shows that are going to be on the hearts of Jesus and Mary, um, the scriptural basis for devotion to the hearts of Jesus and Mary. There is a scriptural basis for devotion to both hearts. We'll start with the heart of Jesus. Uh, the real scriptural basis, and we can go back to the, the, some of the earliest saints, St. Saint Justin, the martyr who died in about 150. He's about the earliest. They looked to the prophetic words of Jesus. I quoted these words in the first segment. Uh, we see them in Chapter 7 of John's Gospel. Jesus stands upon the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, the great Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, Jesus says, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. And Jesus here is making a reference, a veiled reference, to the waters of life that will flow symbolically from his heart when his side and heart are pierced by the soldier's lance that is chapter nineteen verses twenty five to twenty seven we see mary standing at the foot of the cross and then saint john describes the side of jesus's heart of jesus being pierced blood and water flowing out um, that blood and water which flowed out from christ's side is actually um, a testament to the fa- the truth that his heart was pierced as well uh, Even medical doctors attest to this because when the heart is is drained of blood, as was Jesus's, because of the horrific scourging he underwent the night before, the nails through his hands, his body, uh, his hands, his feet, um, the crowning with thorns, when the heart is drained of blood, the ventricles of the heart will fill up with water so saint john was describing in a very accurate way medically what takes place when one's body is drained of blood as jesus's was and uh, jesus has revealed to saints like saint margaret mary that his heart was pierced with the lance that's when the tradition from early on beginning, as I said, for example, with St. Justin the martyr in the early to mid-second century. He linked those words of Jesus, let anyone who thirst come to me and drink, with, and actually Jesus there was quoting (laughs) uh, the prophet Isaiah about life-giving waters. Well, St. Justin and other early saints linked Jesus' words there to the piercing of his side and what they believed was his heart on Calvary after he died. And this is really the core, the beginning, the foundation of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It wasn't really, we don't see any early Testaments of really devotion to Jesus's words learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart that would come a little a little later the, the devotion finds its real foundation in these verses from John's Gospel and especially the piercing of his heart so um, now we can move to the heart of Mary where do we find in the scriptures, a reference to the heart of Mary. Well, a couple of places, a very um, explicit reference to Mary's heart, concrete, in in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Chapter 2 of St. Luke's Gospel, verse 19, after Mary gives birth and the shepherds come and are adoring... Jesus, the newborn babe, St. Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And Luke chapter 2, verse 51, St. Luke, after Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple, St. Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things in her heart. Uh, He doesn't say pondering, he leaves that out. The better verse for, for the heart of Mary is Luke 2.19. Again, Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. The Greek words here are, are interesting because um, the idea of, of keeping uh, the Greek verb synterii has the connotation of uh keeping in one's memory so mary like a mother any mother would want to retain all these things that she was experiencing in regard to her son and that includes you know the Annunciation, the angel coming to her her giving her first fiat let it be done to me as you say uh... her her obedience in in um, going to bethlehem for the christ child to be born Um, and in addition to that and this is what saints and commentators tell us know the old testament prophecies of jesus for example the prophet isaiah speaks of how the virgin would conceive and bear a son and name him emmanuel Um, the uh, many prophecies about about jesus even the fact that he was going to be a suffering servant mary would have read all of these and and kept them in her heart and also Saint Luke in verse two nineteen speaks of how Mary not only kept these things, put them into her memory, but uh, pondering them. Okay, some other words that we can use for the the Greek word is symbolusa, and instead of pondering, you could say uh, uh, reflecting or comparing is another verb. What was Mary comparing? Well, comparing the Old Testament prophecies to what she had experienced being revealed to her in the New Testament. Another interpretation of the Greek word, of the verb symbolusa, is interpreting. Mary would have interpreted the meaning of those Old Testament prophecies, and then what she was experiencing. In the New Testament, with the angel coming with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and then you know throughout uh, Jesus's time with her in the holy home of Nazareth, during the time that that Jesus was publicly preaching, we know mary uh traveled she she um, was with him at the foot of the cross so mary would have kept all these things pondering them comparing all these things interpreting them in her heart this activity of her heart and uh, those are our two verses i mentioned with explicit references to mary's heart luke 219 luke 251 mary kept all these things pondering them in her heart another great basis foundation for the devotion to the heart of Mary and doctrine to develop as well okay teaching about the heart of Mary is found also in st. Luke's Gospel chapter 2 verse 35 I made reference to this already a couple of times it's the great prophecy of Simeon at the presentation of Jesus in the temple 40 days after his birth. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms, the baby, and says to Mary and Joseph, this child will be the rise and the fall of many, and then to Mary, and will be as a sword which will pierce your soul. And from the earliest centuries in the church, beginning with a great uh, second century early third-century writer named Origen, instead of saying that a sword will pierce your soul, uh, he interpreted, and that the tradition followed him, saying that a sword would pierce your heart. Heart, soul, kind of interchangeable terms. So um, Simeon's prophecy was fulfilled at Calvary at the foot of the cross and here we can see with that fulfillment of that prophecy mary's heart being pierced with the sword of sorrow that uh, there is a link with the heart of jesus because her soul her heart her soul is especially pierced with sorrow after Jesus dies and the soldier pierces his side and his heart with the lance, there is, you could say, the, the foundation of the, the devotion and the doctrine, I'll call it a doctrine because John Paul II taught it as a doctrine, a teaching of the Church, of the union or alliance of the hearts of Jesus and Mary. And that union or alliance of the hearts of Jesus and Mary begins at the Annunciation with Mary's fiat, when the Word becomes flesh. And I'll quote St. John Paul II here, who was the great champion of the union or alliance of the hearts of Jesus and Mary. St. John Paul says that the heart of Jesus began to beat beneath the heart of Mary, when she conceived Jesus in her womb and that union of the two hearts was then consummated you could say on Calvary in the crucible of suffering born by love by both Jesus and Mary who were loving each other and suffering together on Calvary so um, this Simeon's Prophecy Luke chapter 2 verse 35 the sword of sorrow piercing Mary's heart is fulfilled on Calvary and this is uh, this idea and linking Mary's heart with the pierced heart of Christ really plays a prominent role in the development of devotion to the two hearts and seeing this union of their two hearts in, in the medieval period in the medieval church so um... We can say that the beginnings of development to devotion of the hearts of Jesus and Mary take place in the patristic period. Uh, even among the apostolic fathers, Saint Justin Martyr is considered an apostolic father. Um, the the early um, uh, saints um, who who were, were closely linked to the apostles and the, the, the fathers of the church, the great saints of antiquity, uh, who poured over the scriptures and and their commentaries are really um, form part of, of what we call sacred tradition. And so, meditating upon scripture, the fathers of the church concluded that the human heart of Jesus was really involved in every aspect of our redemption. And you know, Jesus says uh, in, uh, to the Father in the garden, You know, not my will but yours be done. He's speaking from the heart there. And uh, the place of his heart in the redemption was really woven into the very sources of revelation, you could say. And we can say, The same thing about the heart of Mary, the Blessed Virgin. Uh, There was a genuine love and veneration for Mary among the saints, ecclesiastical writers in the early centuries of Christianity. And there was a strong desire to imitate the virtues, interior dispositions, of Mary, knowing that she conformed her heart closely to the heart of Jesus Christ. And I'll mention one thing as well, another another part of this, because when we're talking about sacred tradition, uh, sacred tradition means the teaching of the church, part of that tradition is drawn heavily from the liturgy because the liturgical prayers that we find in the early masses, well, this is the church praying. And... Uh, lex orandi, lex credendi—the uh, law of praying, as it said—is is is the law of believing, of faith. So the liturgical prayers that we that we we see, and the scripture readings that were used in the liturgy, um, help the the tradition to grow in the context of the liturgy, and we can see. Uh, just, to, just to make this clear and concrete for people, okay. Uh, on the feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, well, you know, the Church puts forth for us, you know, the the verses of of Saint Luke's Gospel that I referred to, okay. Um, Mary uh, p- pondering these things, keeping these things in her heart, well in the early church the faithful would have heard these things these these scripture verses in the liturgy and that would have ignited in their minds and hearts especially in in those who were more reflective, okay um, to to imagine that heart of mary as as uh, a heart that was conformed to the will of god and and a heart worthy of imitation. So, similarly with the heart of Jesus, when people heard in the liturgy that Jesus' side was pierced with a lance and then... uh, uh, preachers were preaching on how his heart was pierced. These are the seeds of devotion, the beginnings of devotion to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can look to, I'll, I'll just finish up here in the last couple of minutes, I'll, I'll quote one of the early medieval writers, um, Saint Ambrose, who was, uh, he helped to convert a, the bad boy Augustine, okay? Um, he was the... the the Bishop of Milan. And St. Ambrose, like other saints, even accommodated other scripture verses to Mary's interior life and her heart. For example, the Song of Songs, or the Canticle of Canticles, as it's called, we read this verse in in the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2. I was sleeping, but my heart kept vigil. Beautiful line. Okay, so this vigilant heart. Well, Saint Ambrose used that verse from the Song of Songs as a reference to Mary's vigilant heart. Saint Ambrose had famous uh, exhortations to virgins. He was exhorting these women who embraced. The consecrated life, we'd call it, okay, to imitate Mary's vigilant heart, always contemplating God, always meditating upon the mysteries of Jesus Christ. So, next week I'll continue on this theme of devotion and doctrine, how it developed to the hearts of Jesus and Mary. So, celebrate these two feasts coming up Friday and Saturday, and, um, I'll end us here...
1: With the blessing, Father? We still have a minute before the break.
0: Okay, with with a blessing. Yes. Uh, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, you formed the heart of the Redeemer beneath the heart of the Virgin Mary when she uttered her fiat at the Annunciation. This began... The unions, the union, the alliance of these two hearts. Instill in us a love for these hearts and a desire to imitate the heart of Mary in order that our hearts may be more conformed with the heart of Christ, her Son. And may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. And Father, you'll be back next Wednesday. So instead of every other Wednesday, we're going to be caught up. And that's the Feast of John the Baptist, I think. Oh, wonderful. Yes. All right. God bless you, Father. Thank you so much for a beautiful show.
0: Thank you, Angela.